Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. <laughs> Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. All right, we're back, and I'm sure Nate will be joining us. Nate just called in, so let's go right to the phones. And joining us is Mr. Nate Zielinski. Good morning, Nate. Well, I am very sorry to disappoint, Terry, but this is Will today. Well, how come and, nobody uh, – uh, hey, Will, let's – it's never a disappointment when Nate doesn't call. I mean, it's never a disappointment when you call instead of Nate. I'm, um, right. <laughs> <laughs> no, we love Nate, but uh, always great to have you. You're full of information. You're a tremendous outdoor outdoorsman and fisherman and hunter, and I'm, I'm sure you've got lots of information to share with us. You know, I do. It's uh... – you know, amidst this uh, kind of crazy times we're going on, going with right now, um, the uh, the angling world is something that a lot of people are turning to to you know to reflect and do all this other stuff. But but outside of uh, outside of that aspect of it, we've got a lot of great fishing going on right now, and we've got some uh, um, really good shore fishing opportunities up in the mountains right now for a lot of these lakes. Ice out. Um, for big trout and, uh, and here in a little bit or soon, um, when some of these other lakes open up to fishing, uh, ice out for pike is going to be really good as well. But, uh, this is a, and Terry, I know you'll echo this. This is a phenomenal time of year to walk the banks of these higher mountain reservoirs that are just opening up and catch some of the biggest trout of the entire year. Oh, without question. And even down in the lower, um, lakes if the water cools a lot of these shore trout come close to shore and there's big trout the one thing we do want to make sure people know that we're not recommending you drive somewhere that's 200 miles away and stay overnight you know try to find the closest place you can but it's going to change and hopefully quickly so kind of take us through what you're excuse me what you're seeing out there and what you're anticipating yeah, you know, and that's and Terry, you make a good point. You know, a lot of these places that I'm talking about are going to be day trips. They're going to be, you know, a family style trip where you're going with your with your uh, with your family, take your kids or something. But uh, again, um, our goal as anglers is always to try to, you know, keep our own space or, or give give other anglers their own space. But um, you know, right now up in South Park specifically, you got Antero Reservoir and Eleven Mile Reservoir that are um, currently have. Um, for the most part, if not 100% ice-free and a great opportunity to catch some of these big trout. And I'll tell you what, um, you can catch some of the biggest trout, like I said earlier, the entire year. And uh, this is when we're throwing these fish. You know, you can do it a couple different ways. My favorite way to do it is, is you know, power fishing. And you guys have seen, you know, plenty of the, of the times we've, we've shot some television shows and stuff like that where I love throwing a big jerk bait for trout. And while most people think, well, hey, Springtime is, is when those big uh, cutthroats and those big rainbows are in shallow spawning. Um, you know, they're not necessarily the most carnivorous fish. Um, I'm actually not necessarily targeting those big rainbows from the shore. I'm targeting those big browns that are coming in um, that are attracted to the spawning activity that's occurring from these rainbows and these cutthroats. So I'm throwing a big, you know, natural-style jerkbait, a, a suspender, um, or a floating jerkbait, I have caught some of the biggest trout that I've caught in my entire life have come on a five to seven inch floating rapala. And uh, all of those have, or a lot of those have actually come from the shore in this ice out time period. So uh, what I like doing is I'll rig up, you know, fish almost like I'm bass fishing. And, uh, you know, we're running anywhere from eight to 10 pound test uh, mono with, uh, 
conditions are right, I prefer to use braid because I get a little better action out of the bait with braid. Um, but if we got these freezing temperatures that you might have early in the morning and you're dealing with, you know, with your guides freezing up, you might want to stick to a mono or a floral. But um, I'm rigging basically with a medium uh, action spinning rod or bait casting rod, whichever you prefer. And uh, I'm working these baits with some really, really hard snaps and, and, uh, and rips and then a long pause. And I'll tell you what, if uh, with that floating rapala, you can actually rip that thing down and let it float up. And that is a major triggering um, technique that gets a lot of these big browns fired up. Some of the biggest browns the one- I've caught have come on that floating rapala, letting it float to the surface and then twitching it down. Uh, and I don't think people, whether it's the floating rappel or a jerk bait, when we say a long pause, um, most people, when you think you've let it pause long enough, pause about two times or three times that long, right? And that's exactly right. And, you know, for anybody that's been in the boat with me or has been around me, they know I'm kind of high energy and I uh, have a hard time sitting still. So I'll uh, actually start, you know, playing games with myself, saying, okay, I'm going to actually – have a conversation with with the angler down the down the uh, down the shoreline, you know, just to give myself something to do in between pauses because it is really hard to uh, fish that slow. But uh, you know, I call it actively fishing slow, where you're giving that bait a ton of action and then letting it pause. Sometimes for you know, I'd say the typical pause that a lot of fishermen do is you know a, a second and a half to three second long pause, and people think that's a long pause, but honestly. The water temperature is being cold. These fish are still, I don't want to say they're lethargic, but, you know, they're not moving full speed per se. So giving those fish 5, 10, 15, sometimes 20, 30 seconds is uh, is not necessarily uh, the wrong way to go about it. In fact, I'd say most of the fish we catch this time of year on a jerkbait are on the pause. Well, I, almost without without fail i couldn't agree with you more and it's true for you know the same thing in this cold water is true for walleyes and bass but when you're fishing those big trout and i think you know when you said five to seven inch jerk baits people you know kind of gasp they think of these three inch baits for trout but even big rainbows my biggest my second biggest rainbow in colorado came on a rattle trap and of course it was in warmer water it wasn't this time of the year but right. um I've, you know you catch a <clears throat> excuse me a number of these these big fish and when they're near the shore and things are um you know this time of year the ice doesn't have to be all the way off the lake right right correct and that's something else you know people think because you're shore fishing (laughs) um you want to cast it out as far as you can to get to that zone that you might be targeting from the boat but something these fish especially these big predator trout even lake trout big lakers this is a great time of year for catching big lakers from the shore uh, they're actually using the shoreline as a uh, barrier or as a corral, and they'll actually use the shoreline to their advantage. And I've and I've seen it a lot. I've actually I watched my wife catch uh, a 44-inch lake trout from the shore, and that fish is probably top third of its body was out of the water because it chased that lure all the, that bait. It was a big swim bait. Chased a big swim bait all the way in to where its belly was literally on the rocks and its back was out of the water and it was using the shoreline to trap what it assumed was a, a trout or a bait fish up against the shoreline. So what I'll do, instead of making these long casts straight out, I'm going to be making casts at angles and trying to get as close to parallel um, casts with the shoreline as I can. And those fish typically just T-bone those baits in nice and shallow. 
Oh, you're absolutely right. What other techniques? Now, if you can't get them to go on the jerk bait, what do you do? You know, so and that's and that's a great point, Terry. You know, for for me personally, like I said, I like fishing fast. I like power fishing per se. But if for whatever reason that isn't working, um, one of our favorite baits that we talk what we talk about this bait all the time is a is a is a three is a two and a half to three and a half even four inch tube jig is absolutely dynamite up in the mountain lakes this time of year. And a lot of that has a lot of the, these places don't have a ton of vegetation growing yet. And you're going to be, for the most part, you know, for a lot of these reservoirs that have some kind of riprap or some kind of rock rubble, that's the areas that you're going to want to focus on. And especially when you're talking about fishing a, a tube jig or even a jerk shad or something of that nature on a, on a jig head, you're, you can literally cast that out. And you're, instead of power fishing now, you're going to crawl that thing with some small hops um, along, along the structure and that is also another great triggering technique because those fish, with that, they can feel that bait with their lateral lines either um, being drug over the rocks or bouncing off the rocks as you're going through there. And a tube jig this time of year is dynamite. Now, I will say this. Um, normally, my go-to color for a tube jig, especially for trout in South Park, is white, pearl white, snow white, you know, a handful of those kind of whiter colors. This time of year, I'm focusing on two um, color selections. The the first is going to be a pink or an orange, kind of that brighter color. The reason for that is, is because um, these fish are, are focused on eggs. So they're focused on rainbows and, and cutthroats that are dropping eggs. So that color is just a natural color for them to be targeting right now. Now, the absolute flip side of that is I'm going to throw something that's got that more natural color. I really like throwing um, kind of that... Uh, that green pumpkin is is a uh, is a fish catcher. Whether you're fishing for really any kind of species of fish, but that green pumpkin colored tube jig, maybe with a little bit of of uh, color on the back end, whether it's chartreuse or orange or white, um, does really well. And sometimes what I'll do, and this is something I haven't told a lot of people, kind of a a trick of the trade, if you will, is I'll actually run that tube jig, rig it normal with the head inside the tube, and then if I need to add a little bit of color to something like that green pumpkin. Because I'm going to thread a jerk shad or a twister tail that's got some color to it onto the hook, basically as a trailer on my soft plastic. A lot of guys don't think about um, trailering a soft plastic, but I'll throw that in there just for a little bit of that contrast. And man, that can really be a difference, me. And if your if your hook extends out far enough, or if you can get it in, sometimes I'll even take, like, say I'm using a three inch tube, but the hook only goes back about two and a half inches. I will actually put that uh, a curly tail in there about an inch from the back and let the hook grab it as I come through so it sticks right out of the back sometimes. Exactly. Yep. Whatever, depending on whatever style hook you're using, I, I tend to err towards the, the longer shanked hooks, but, you know, so I can usually get thread something on there. But if you can't, that's a great rigging technique. In fact, we should try to do a video on that, on how to rig that so people understand what we're talking about because that's a great way to make sure that that, soft plastic doesn't come off yeah and it stays straight and and your jig still swims properly it's just a great way to rig it before we run out of time now obviously the trout on the front range the stock trout are still going to be shallow because this snow has cooled the water down we're going to talk more about that in the next segment there's going to be a great opportunity to just get out and catch some fish um the big trout are probably moving a little bit further from shore down towards the, on the front range right now but they're still available but what about walleyes and bass? Are you guys seeing anything happening on the front range lakes? 
you know, so so Matt Ensley has been spending a little bit of time out in his little boat at Quincy Reservoir and has caught some really nice fish. Um, and again, you don't even need to be in a boat for this. You can you can do this from the shore. And the two main techniques have been um, suspending jerk baits, so something we really really like that uh, perfect ten rogue. Um, because you're, you can, it allows you to get that a little bit deeper. And, again, we're focusing on long pauses for these bass. And uh, the other thing, like you mentioned earlier, that you use for trout sometimes is a lipless crank. A lipless crank this time of year has got great triggering aspects. It calls a lot of fish in. And, uh, you know, you're working it at a pretty steady retrieve with mixing some little pops in there, and those largemouth are keying in on that. And as far as our walleye go, we've still got a great night bite going on, a, a phenomenal uh, – um, Planer board, planer boards at night, precision trolling technique where we're catching a lot of numbers of fish. We've seen some really nice fish as well, but also uh, the uh, the lead core bite out there at Cherry Creek Reservoir has been absolutely dynamite. And again, there's a lot of folks out there, a lot of boats out there, but there is also a lot of fish to be caught right now. So focus in on pulling lead core. If you don't have lead core, um, pulling snap weights or even just long line trolling in some of those shallow areas with something like a flicker shad or a shad wrap is really productive as well. What about Chatfield? And, and by the way, is the water level coming up at Chatfield? What is the status at Chatfield? You know, so right now the water is creeping up. It's not, it's not going up super fast right now, but, but the plan was to have it at full capacity, normal capacity um, here. The first part of April was when they were planning on having it at the full part of capacity um, like what normal, the normal level would have been in there. Obviously, it's going to start creeping up more and more as we get this runoff. All right, so they will be filling it. So, you know, as that water rises, it might keep some of those fish a little shallower. How has the bite been for various species at Chatfield? The the smallmouth bite's been very good, um, as well as, uh, you know, that's where we're doing most of our night walleye fishing for or night, night trolling for walleyes right now is at Chatfield Reservoir. And, uh, but there's also a good day bite. Actually, we're starting to see a pretty good day bite on some soft plastics, throwing some swim baits, um, some twister tails, stuff like that. And, again, uh, the chat-filled fish, um, they seem to really want to have something with some scent on it. So whether you're tipping a night crawler on, on your soft plastics or even rubbing a little bit of, of some kind of smelly jelly or uh, um, scent on that soft plastic as well is going to be a key to catching those walleyes on soft plastics. Last thing before I let you go, Will, is um, you guys, uh, I, I assume you're probably not guiding right now because of the restrictions, but what, what right. types of activities are you guys doing and how can they follow you? I know you're doing videos and you've got things planned coming up that hopefully you'll get to. How do people follow you guys? You know, so you can, you can see what we're doing on, on, on our Tightline Outdoors Facebook page. Uh, we're doing as much content providing, as much how-to videos, um, that kind of stuff as we possibly can right now. And uh, so you can find us on our Facebook page at Tightline Outdoors. You can find some of the stuff. I'm actually going to be launching a, uh, a spring pike series here on Facebook of, you know, kind of an online seminar for, for what we do to be successful up there in South Park uh, for these big northerns at Ice Out. So I'm going to start doing some videos here coming this week, tar- or, you know, specifically talking about targeting those larger fish up in the mountain lakes and uh, But I'd say for the most part, Facebook and then our website, if you're interested in what we do as a company, um, our website is tightlineoutdoors.com, and you can see everything we're doing there from um, the tournament series we're going to be hosting this summer called Catch Rate, as well as, uh, you know, what we offer from fully guided fishing trips and also some tips and tricks as well. 
All right. My friend, we have to let you go, but all good stuff, and hopefully we'll get back to more normal activities. But in the meantime, people need to get out and take advantage of things. Just do it the right way. Will, thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Thanks, Terry. Have a great day. You bet. Will Dykstra from Tightline Outdoors. We're going to take a quick time out. When we come back, Ben Swiggle, the biologist from the Longmont Loveland area, is going to join us, and he's going to give us a report very much like Paul Winkle did last week on uh, a lot of fishing opportunities right there close to home for you people in that area. On Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. We're going to go right to the phones and joining us from Colorado Parks and Wildlife is Ben Swiggle. Good morning, Ben. Good morning, Terry. Good to hear from you. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I hope the family's staying healthy and everything. Oh, we're good. We're uh, we're just staying at home. Uh, probably haven't had a cleaner garage in my life, but uh, we're still getting out, <laughs> doing some fishing here and there. Oh yeah, and well, you know, and that's the point that they're. I think we're all cleaning things out. I was going to mention Karen was cleaning out some files in her office, and I found some articles I wrote years ago and pictures and things. So that's been kind of fun. There's ways to amuse yourself, but people want to get out. And I know you were listening last week when Paul came on and talked about both lakes and ponds and the rivers in the Denver metro area, um, that there's places close to home. You don't necessarily have to go a long ways to get out and wet a line, whether it's with a boat or from shore, but a lot of people just want to go out from shore and they can spread out and catch some fish. And I thought maybe you could take us through, you do the Loveland Longmont area, maybe take us through some of the areas that um, you you manage and maybe some opportunities that people could take advantage of. Yeah, sure. Um, I wanted to back up a little bit, Terry, before, before that. Um, and talk a little bit about stuff you can gather online. Um, the history of this organization, there's never been more tools available for folks to uh, do some research, even if you can't get out. But the first thing is, if you go to CPW Shop, you can get your fishing license there. You can get an annual parks pass. Um, you don't have to go to a vendor. You can print it or email it to your phone, and boom, you're done. The, um, the other cool feature is uh, my father-in-law, for example, he's stuck here. They came out to uh, watch the kids while we were going to do the walleye spawn. But anyway, he's stuck here, so I bought him a gift certificate to um, purchase a fishing license. So I did it that way. And the other one um, is really cool. It's relatively new is our fishing app. And the most interesting thing about that one is you can um, – it's got these proximity maps. So you can pin your location and tell you what's available near me to go out and get fishing. And it'll also tell you what, what you can expect to catch and some other things, other things like that. But it's really cool to uh, investigate when we have this proximity, um, I guess, COVID situation. And then the other thing that's also available, and a lot of the bios have been working on this because we've been working from home, is our fishery survey summaries. And those are on our website. And you can go in there and find out exactly what's in a reservoir, what's in what your local ponds. Now, we don't list like, every single water in the state, but your major ones like your Pueblos, and your Blue Mesas, your North Sterlings, your Cherry Creeks, Antero, uh, all of the what we caught in our nets or electrofish is available to the public to see exactly what size, how many, um, what species. And that's all been pretty much updated because of, like I said, what the, the bios are stuck at home. But um so that's some good information out there for uh, folks that are, you know, working behind the computer. 
If people want to get to those surveys, I've been to them, looked at them. They're just so full of information. In fact, I looked at them for some of the ponds you manage when you and I were talking about them one time. But how do they find those? Are they easy to find on on the website? Yeah, if you go under things to do on the Colorado Parks and Wildlife and click on fishing, that'll get you to it. Otherwise, you can just, I would just Google the particular water you're interested in. For example, North Sterling Fishing, and it'll pop up. And uh, the biologist's name will be there. And if you have any questions or you wanted to email us, uh, you know, don't bombard us. But, uh, you know, we're happy to and available to answer some questions. So uh, that's the way you can get there. And those are great resources because knowing what's in a body of water, and it shows some of the sizes of what we're we're caught in the nets and things. It gives you really good perspective on a body of water. And, and knowing there's fish in there, even if you're not catching them, gives you a little more confidence when you fish it. Always helps to know there's something in there. You're not just throwing into empty water. So that's always great. So what are some of, you know, people in the Loveland, Longmont area want to get out and do some fishing. What, what are some of the places you recommend? And are there a lot of opportunities? Well, it's kind of unique to my area is each major municipality seems to have a a pond complex. So, for example, in Loveland, there's a area called the River's Edge Natural Area, and it's a series of um, five ponds, two of the, the Jayhawker ponds, and then they, you know, about six years, seven years ago, they added um, three more ponds. Um, two of those are stocked with trout. In fact, one of them, and I'm not going to mention which pond it is. You're going to have to find out on your own. One of them was recently stocked with 20-inch brood uh, rainbow trout. And uh, another pond is stocked with the, the, you know, the 10-inch catchables. But there's also bass, panfish, catfish, perch. I know I know some of those, those species are a little sluggish this time of year, but um, that's a great choice there in, in, uh, in Loveland. And one thing I will mention, to help with the social distancing, I'd recommend buying a belly boat. Um, you can really get out on the water, get on top of it, get away from if if we do – start seeing too many people along the shoreline, that's another option to potentially distance yourself. Um, and then if you go a little bit further south, uh, St. Brain State Park, there's about nine different ponds down there. Um, one of them is a new, relatively new, 82-acre reservoir called Blue Heron. And when we set our gillnets last fall, we caught over 200 walleye in four gillnets. And there's four-year classes, and there's several hundred yards of shoreline there. And the shoreline is rip-wrapped, so it's those, those walleye are going to start coming in, being available to the anglers. Um, and there's, there's even some northern pike to be caught out at St. Brain. Uh, three of the ponds get trout, have been heavily stocked with trout this spring. And there's just such a variety uh, when you go to these pond complexes. No, you're absolutely right. And they're, you know, and as far as, you know, keeping distance from fishermen, if you're more than six feet closer to a fisherman then he's probably mad at you anyway so (laughs) but yeah and there's places to spread out and really have some fun what about some of the rivers ben uh first the saint Vrain river kind of flows through there what's going on with that or i guess you call it more of a creek but what's happening there Uh, yeah well you know obviously your rainbows are in spawning mode and uh, a lot of your brown trout are probably going to be following those uh um those rainbows to pick up a, an easy you know, egg dinner, but um, it's, uh, the same brain is going to fish well for uh, browns, and then uh, up the uh, the Big Thompson is really going to fish well for uh, rainbows. 
we had a major um, stream restoration project on that river that's now complete. And in the lower sections where we really had to use some heavier methods to get the river to or back to where it was, we actually stock, have been stocking early disease resistant rainbows. And um, we've been doing that since 2018. And those fish are now in the 10 inch class. And uh, the, the big Thompson should fish really, really well. Um, so certainly if you're in the Loveland Estes Park area, get out. You know, I mentioned, did mention some of those brood fish that went into. Um, that pond down there in, in Loveland. We also had uh, a bunch of uh, brood fish that we put in Lake Estes. So not only are there going to be your everyday 10 to 12 inch variety of rainbows in Lake Estes, there's, you know, four or 500 of those 18 to 22 inch fish that got put in there as well. Yeah. I, I remember one year where a bunch of brood fish were stuck in Chatfield and I didn't realize that. And I was fishing the river where it came in the back of Chatfield. And I caught six right. fish fishing all fishing all day, but the smallest was 22 inches. I released them all, but, well, I tell you what, what a thrill. I mean, it was so much fun. Yeah, I want to go back to the Big Thompson for a minute. You know, the flood really devastated that river and took away the habitat and the channeling and the things like that. And you guys have done just a remarkable job. I was talking to Kirk from Kirk's Fly Shop just a week or two ago, and he said the Big Thompson is fishing just fantastic. And another thing about the Big Thompson, now that, you know, for a while the fish were only in the upper stretches until you got that restoration done, but now that's been done for a, a while and those fish are spread out, um, I'm hearing it's fishing good from top to bottom, and there's just a lot of public access there. It really is, and then going back to the, the website summary pages, uh, there's information on that that shows the, the history of where we were and just how far we've come. And it, it's quite remarkable. Uh, my surveys mimic what Kurt's saying. In some locations, there's more trout in lower sections than there were before the flood. And it's, it used to be, a, you know, a, it was kind of leaning towards brown, brown, but now we got a little bit of a better balance. We, you know, it's closer to 50-50 rainbows and browns. So that fishery was world-class. It just it, it took a dip for about five years, but it's back from the dam store all the way, all the way up to Olympus Dam. That section should fish well, um, you know, pre-runoff, you know, and then once we get through the runoff, it's, you know, it'll it'll be back to its former glory. And I, if I'm correct me if I'm wrong, but there are sections of that river with different regulations. So some places are flies and lures only, and some you can use bait. Is that right? Yeah, um, it's basically from the base of Olympus Dam down to the Waltonia Bridge. It's about eight miles. That section is catch and release, flies and lures only. Below that, you can actually keep up to four trout per day, and you can use any methods, uh, including uh, night crawlers or uh, salmon eggs. And we really encourage people, if, if you're in an area, whether it's that or a, a put-and-take lake, take what you might cook that day and let us let the resources be there so a lot of people can share them over the next few months and weeks, I would, I would recommend. Any last comments or last tips you want to give us about anything in your area? Well, just statewide, um, our hatcheries, they're still working. We've, we've stocked over 670,000 catchable trout. Um, a lot of them in, in my area, but that's statewide. So if you've got a pond that traditionally gets trout, get out there, use your fishing app, find your local pond. Those trout are, are in there and should provide some, uh, some quality angling. And, you know, you can follow the stocking report. Whenever you come out with a, 
a fishing report at we put it on my Facebook page, uh, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, and I don't think one came out yesterday. At least we didn't get one, but usually they're going to start coming out every week. And and in that report is the stocking report. You know, you guys don't try to hide where you put those trout. You want people to go catch them and have some fun. Absolutely. And we, I mean, we stock those fish with the intention anglers will harvest them. Because, they, you know, they get pretty lethargic and don't, don't bite too well after about June 15th. So we strategically put those fish in in the spring and in the fall again with the intentions that folks are going to take home a, a meal. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, ben, we've got to run, but great information. Hopefully people will get out, you know, and go stand by a river, do a little fishing. Even if you don't catch something, it's therapeutic. You'll feel good. Take somebody from your household with you and just sit there and, you know, have, have a nice time. It's just, uh, it's therapeutic in these times. Ben, thank you so much, and thanks for joining us today. My pleasure, Terry. Have a, have a good day. You bet. That's Ben Swagel from Parks and Wildlife. We'll take a quick time out, and we will go talk to the folks at Colorado Clays on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Phone Fan, and I'm on the phone in my studio in Fort Collins, but let's go to the phones and talk to one of our favorite partners, who's I hope patiently waiting, Jr. from Colorado Clays. Good morning, Jr. Hey, good morning, Terry. It's uh, it's a little cloudy here today, but the snow's still melting. Is the snow about gone from where you guys are at? Yeah, you know, on the shady sides in the trees, we got a little sticking, but most of it's going away, Terry. Really nice day overall. Well, we're supposed to stay nice now in the 60s or. High 50s into the high 60s throughout the next week, at least from what I saw. So what's the status at Colorado Clays? Tell us what you're doing out there so people understand. All right. Well, you know, Terry, I think I should probably first take a moment to just to thank all of our customers, whether they're regulars or new ones, uh, for their cooperation and support of Colorado Clays because, you know, without them we wouldn't be here. And like any business operating in these kind of tough times, um, we've had to implement some very precise measures uh, to ensure the safety of not only our customers, but our staff as well. And Terry, I think while everyone is aware of the occasional inconveniences of the sanitizing, the protective equipment, social distancing, and so on, uh, these steps are now necessary. And you know, they are a part of the way Colorado Clays is doing business. And while we're still offering, you know, Coloradans the premier public shooting facility in the state, um, we're still doing rifle, pistol, trap, skeet, wobble trap, and sporting clays. And uh, we're the same Colorado Clays we have been for the last 24 years. Well, and you've got quite a facility, so you can spread people out. How large is your area? Well, that's a good question, Terry, and that's one thing that's really nice about Colorado Clays. Uh, All of our stuff is spread out over an area greater than 120 acres, so that really does help um, with some of the the guidelines we've had to implement for the distancing and such. And, uh, you know, when you come to Colorado Clays, you're going to see many new things that are uh, in place just for the safety of everyone, and uh, we're, we're doing a good job of it. We're I'm very serious about it, and uh, customers seem to be just fine with it. So things are working well here. Now, I understand that it's difficult to do groups right now, um, but 
things will get back to normal. And you guys do a lot of fundraisers. You do parties. You do bachelor parties. You do um, corporate groups. Are you still taking reservations out so that people can put something on the books so when this loosens up they can do their event? Uh, we certainly are, Terry. And all of this is pending, you know, um, orders coming down um, from the, the state. And right now we have a lot of groups on standby. Uh, we have some that are hoping to get their events in. But it's all going to depend on safety. And when we can safely do it, we will. Rescheduling um, your event at Colorado Plays is not a problem. And we're, uh, we're working the calendar over as we speak. So it's, uh, it's coming around very good. All right. Now, one thing I want to talk to you about, and I know a lot of turkey hunters in the field, but I'll probably put some of this up on the website, on my Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. But you've been doing a phenomenal job of patterning shotguns, not only for turkey hunting, but patterning in general. You have a lane that's set up just for that. But you've really come across some interesting information doing this patterning, haven't you? Yeah, Terry. And, you know, this is, a, this is something that people uh, sometimes overlook. And... Uh, one of the the primary objectives and you know this for patterning is just to verify that your gun shoots where you are aiming and um, and what i mean by that is your pattern is centered over an aim point at a given distance and there's you know equal amount left right high or low of your aim point so you know, during our patterning, we found guns that are, some of them are just dead on 50-50, meaning half the pattern is above, half the pattern is below left and right. Uh, generally, what seems to be the desired is about a 60-40, meaning 60% of your pattern high, 40 low. Uh, that works uh, very well for some people. The interesting thing is that we do have guns come out, and some of these people that decide to use their trap or uh you know, um, sporting gun that they have, you know, comes from the factory. Some of them shooting high are up to 80% high. And uh, we've even had some new guns out of the box that were over 100% high. So right off the bat, um, we can find out what we need to do for adjustments to get that um, pattern where we want it over our aim point, whether it's refit, some of these guns are adjustable, or um, we've had to go as far as actually elevating front sights and stuff on some of them to get them to shoot. That's really the primary objective is to, to know that information. And then, of course, next, we want to make, you know, verify our pattern diameter, pellet density, and distribution at a given range. And that is, you know, using what combination you have, and that will tell your maximum effective distances for either target or hunting. And it will tell you also what adjustments are necessary to get you to achieve that pattern or density um, at the range you're wanting to shoot. Well, the biggest problem I have is that usually the gun shoots right where I am pointing it, just not where I'm aiming. Exactly. But... <laughs> I won't say anything about casting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, in all seriousness, you've really found out that how different it can be with different loads and different chokes and different barrels, haven't you? Yeah. And, you know, Terry, I think the next thing in the in the process, of course, is your gun. And this is uh, interesting and that I have found. I mean, we've patterned many guns, 20s, 12s, 10s, all of them, but uh, for the purpose of what I'm going to tell you, the 12 gauge is 99% of our guns. Uh, we did pump action, semi-automatics, and brake action guns, uh, turkey guns, field guns, and target guns. Uh, people, you know, have a variety of guns they want to use. 
and barrel lengths from 26 to 30 inches um, in, in length. And what we have found is that really the difference between a 26 and 30 inch barrel is that your gun is four inches closer to the target. It seems that, and I think the general consensus is, that the powder is burnt, you've developed your pressures and your velocities in the first 18 to 20 inches of the barrel. So that is not that big a factor in getting the, um, getting the, the uh, pattern you want. Now, as far as the type of gun, same thing. That seems to be more personal preference than anything. And we see guns from, you know, camouflage, hunting specific, uh, factory beads with mid beads, fluorescent beads. Um, didn't do any scoped ones this year yet. But uh, overall, I think more important than the gun you choose will be the choke and ammo combination that you use with that gun. And, of course, fit when you're aiming is always important with a gun. But assuming you've got a gun that fits you right and you kind of know where it's shooting, how how drastic an effect does the choke and ammo have on your pattern? Well, and I'll tell you, Terry, we learn this every year. Uh, those two are the biggest factors, and particularly when we're patterning for the turkey hunting. So if we start with the chokes, um, we, we did. We patterned factory and aftermarket chokes. Uh, some flush with the end of the barrel and some extended from modified um, through turkey um, uh, choking. And the best ones overall were always the extended chokes. So it appears that, you know, choking your shot charge down over a longer distance seems to develop and hold better patterns. Uh, some of the factory extended range chokes um, did pretty well, but overall the best was going to be the turkey-specific tubes, and some of the aftermarket ones are really good. Um, and I'll tell you a couple things I think we talked about. I sent you a picture um, of a, a particular pattern that was amazing. Now, ammo-wise, we did two and three-quarter, three and three-and-a-half-inch shells. Uh, we did six, five, four-shot, and some of the blends. Uh, we did lead and heavier than metal, such as heavy shot and such. Uh, ounce and a quarter through two ounce loads um, and uh, you know some of the heavier loads obviously gives you more pellets on um, on target now the smaller pellets you know in the blends had a tendency to give you more but then you have to do the consideration of energy downrange and that gets into another thing but um, one thing I will say that was very standout is the velocities ranging from 1,050 feet per second to 1,300. And if you're looking for a very good, consistent, and evenly distri distributed pattern, the slower loads were definitely um, patterning better than the faster ones. The faster loads seem to have uh, a more of a tendency to have flyers and um, holes in the pattern at a given distance. So when it all is said and done, Terry, a good aftermarket or extended turkey tube choke with uh, one of the slower turkey-specific um, shot or, or shells, excuse me, is absolutely the best combination. And the one that I found, because I generally try not to talk brands, but a guy came out with a bunch of stuff. He had a heavy shot tube, which is one, you know, one of them made probably four heavy shot loads, but he paired that with a 1,050 foot per second 
two-ounce number five um, out of a, a three-and-a-half-inch pump, and at 50 yards, he was able to put over two dozen pellets on the uh, turkey head pattern, and I would say that gun would be good out past that. So that's probably the best one we have seen for years as far as the combination goes. All right. Well, we are out of time, but I think I will post uh, some of this stuff on my Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. And then if people want to get a hold of you, I'm sure they can call you out of Colorado Clays, right? Absolutely. 303-659-7117. And uh, feel free to go to the website, coloradoclays.com. We've got a lot of information on there, and we can answer questions through the email, too. All right, my friend, we will talk to you again very soon. Stay safe. All right. Thank you, Terry. You bet. We're going to take a quick time out. When we come back, we'll wrap up the show on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. We're going to wrap up the show here, but before we do, is, uh, is Dan in the studio there? I'm here. I'm at work, Terry. You are? Amazing. Yeah. I've been there once. Yeah. Hey, real quick, I know you got to run, but um, a real tip of the cap to you. I didn't realize this. Now, I know you've been at home, and you haven't been able to go out, get out and go fishing, uh, but I talked to your producer, Karen, and she said you're still actually on pace to tie your record for total amount of fish caught in April. So that was really Watch good, yourself. man. All these years <laughs> you're fishing, and you've, you're, not, you're not off track at all, even though you're not fishing. <laughs> Very funny, my friend. I thought um, so. Seriously, I thought that was hilarious. I, 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 if we had more time, I was going to ask you something about social distancing, but uh, serious question, but I'm going to let it go. But I do want to ask you this. And by the way, I don't mind taking some of the time from your show. I'm okay with oh, it. Oh, I know. I know. Um, <laughs> but seriously, we're going to have the draft. That'll be the big deal this week. And, of course, the fan, we're going to have great coverage of it. In fact, I should tell people that next week, I will be on from 8 to 10 instead of 9 to 11 because we're going to move the show a little earlier so we can accommodate the draft on Saturday. But, you know, I hear, I hear three or four things. What I hear is they should take a wide receiver, they should take a cornerback, and then I hear once in a while about an offensive lineman. I really lean towards the offensive line. I think that it all starts there, and if you don't have time to get the ball off, it doesn't matter how far that guy can run down the field unless there's just a game changer there. What are your feelings? Or I'm sure you're going to talk about that, but you know, isn't it funny, you you know, Terry, we work with all these former athletes and, you know, Brandon Stokely and guys like this. And, you know, you would think that they wouldn't have just the regular video game opinion. You you know, you were, you hit it on the nail. If you watch the, the team for the last five years, you know, their offensive line is atrocious. And I hear knucklehead comments out of Stokely and James Merrillat like, well, our biggest hole is wide receiver. Are you out of your stinking mind? Wide receiver's our biggest hole? Get out of here. We need the offensive and this line. Is a draft, this is a draft that's deep in wide receivers. You can get – they've got, I think, five picks in the first three rounds. You can get a wide receiver in the second round. Yeah, absolutely. Fact, yeah. And, and just so you our, know, Terry – Didn't our starting wide receiver, our best one – come in the second round a couple of years ago? Indeed he did. And just so you know, under the Pat Shermer offense, any receiver they select will probably be, at best, the fourth option in this offense. The fourth. You're going to waste a first-round pick on that. Yeah. So anyway, I'm, I'm sure you'll expound on that. I may not agree with everything you say, but I will agree with that. 
And it's, it's amazing that even you and I can occasionally agree on something. Yeah, it's great. And I'm just really proud of myself because I've caught as many fish this month as the great Terry Wickstrom. So I'm doing something. Well, no, you actually, you, you actually haven't, but that's okay. What? <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. We'll end the show. We'll get, we'll let, we'll let, uh, I want to say thanks to Kyle and Karen for keeping this on track. And we'll let the, we'll let the Eagles take us to the top of the hour and, uh, Dan Jacobs and Sports on 104.3 The Fan. Cool.